Chapter 31, The Scarlet Name Tag, a chapter on influenza and the flu vaccine. Evangeline sat by her baby's bedside, watching the monitors blink and beep their reassurance that her daughter was stable. Feeling herself starting to nod off, she decided to slip out of the room and stretch. Maybe there's coffee in the nurse's lounge, she hoped. She saw a young woman, about her age, sitting in a chair against the wall next to the closed door to the ICU room across from hers, quietly crying. The woman looked up at the sound of her door clicking shut, and Evangeline knew instantly that this must be a young mom, just like her, with a child on the other side of that closed door. You can always tell by the look on their faces, she thought. If it's a husband, there's more worry than sorrow. If it's a relative, there's concern. But if it's a child... She knew her own face must have looked just like that when her little Angela was admitted several days ago and had needed a ventilator to keep her alive. But now her baby was extubated, not needing a machine to breathe for her anymore, and was doing well. Evangeline glanced down the hallway, longing for the coffee, but her altruistic side asserted itself and she pulled up a chair next to the woman. I know, dear, it's hard. She put an arm around the woman's shoulder. The woman glanced up at her with a mixed look of confusion and annoyance. How can you possibly know what it's like to... Then she saw Evangeline's eyes and saw the anguish, saw her own feelings reflected in this stranger's face. She looked at the closed door across the hallway from where they sat and continued... You too? Yes, me too. Her name is Angela. I have little David, said the woman, her head nodding toward her own door, through which sounds of activity could be heard, life-saving activity. Evangeline had sat in the same chair outside Angela's door just a week ago, listening to the same sounds, but alone. The two sat for a few minutes, the newbie taking comfort from the veteran. Both knew that to try to explain more right now would just end in a torrent of sobbing tears. So they just sat. Anna sat at the nurse's station with her freshly poured cup of coffee, just brewed for the night shift. She was charting her care notes from her first rounds on her two patients. She pulled her face mask down past her mouth and sipped her coffee, then slid it back into place. Thank God Angela's finally doing well, she thought. It was touch and go there for a bit, but she pulled through and should be out of here in another day or two. It's so hard to see the flu hit a baby that way. Anna still felt some guilt over her decision to avoid the flu shot again this year, As an ICU nurse, she saw firsthand how bad the flu could be. But also as an ICU nurse, she'd seen just how bad the rare but severe side effects from the flu shot can be. She'd seen Guillain-Barre syndrome not only in her own grandma, but had cared for two patients with it here in this very unit. All three had occurred within days of getting the flu shot. Anna was only 12 when it struck her grandma, 
but she could still remember the weeks in an ICU when her whole body had been paralyzed by the autoimmune reaction to the vaccine. Anna had visited her every day, and it was that experience that had prompted her to go into nursing. And the months of physical and occupational therapy her grandmother had to suffer through to learn to eat and walk again had convinced Anna that she did not want to be a rehab nurse. Anna learned more about Guillain-Barre syndrome, or GBS, in nursing school, and had been angry when many of her instructors had laughed at the very idea that it could be caused by a vaccine. She still felt guilty for having pretended to laugh along with her classmates whenever Miss Johnson, the worst of them, made fun of parents who didn't believe in science. But Anna knew that the research was very clear on GBS— Not only the flu vaccine, but other vaccines as well, were now medically accepted causes of GBS. She even showed Miss Johnson this research one day, and she just laughed it off. But two of her nursing instructors had listened to her and her story about her grandma and looked at the studies on GBS and conceded that, yes, GBS could be a severe autoimmune reaction to a flu shot as the immune system created antibodies against the flu viruses in the shot, it also created abnormal antibodies which attacked part of a person's own nervous system, damaging the nerves in the spinal cord and brain. So Anna never got flu shots, and the mask she had to wear at her job for six months out of every year was her punishment. Because those who didn't get flu shots posed a danger to their patients, the hospital board ruled when she and ten other nurses protested the policy. When they asked the board to produce a research study that demonstrated they posed a risk to their patients, they were waved off. They didn't have time to show them the research that was obviously out there in numerous studies. Why else would every hospital in the country have a mandatory flu shot policy? It's because we know it prevents the flu and prevents you from passing the flu to your patients. But Anna and her friends knew there wasn't any such research. Oh, there was research that showed the vaccine reduced the severity of the flu by a little bit. Not by much, though. And there definitely wasn't any research that proved that healthcare workers who were vaccinated were less likely to carry the flu viruses in their respiratory tract and pass it to patients. Anna's review of the data concluded that the flu shot might make you feel less sick when you are exposed to the flu, and it might reduce the chance of having complications from the flu by a little, but you'll still carry the virus and shed it to others, regardless of vaccination. No study had ever proven otherwise and it only helped reduce symptoms from the strains covered by that year's flu shot. Every year, flu shot makers tried to guess which strains would go around next year and make flu shots with the three most likely strains. No, it was four strains now, since they've added the swine flu strain every year now. Sometimes they got it right, but they often got it wrong, and in many years, the flu shot was determined to only be 20% effective. Geez, last year it was only 10% effective. No thanks, Anna reminded herself. I'm not risking GBS each and every year for the rest of my life for something that may or may not even help me. And you know what? 
I would do it for my patients if there was any evidence that it would prevent me from carrying and passing the virus. So again, no thanks. When the first GBS case came to the unit a few years ago, and it became known that the patient had gotten the flu shot a week prior, the staff started to look at Anna's masked face with more curiosity. Like, maybe she wasn't so psycho after all. But that patient soon left, and so had the reminder. So when it happened again just last year, Anna wasn't surprised to see two other nurses now wearing masks for this flu season. The message was starting to get around. I just wish Tim would listen to me on this. Her brother, Tim, was a pediatrician for Presley Churchill. He'd called just the other day to complain about another change in their vaccine policy, but he still got the flu shot every year. He watched what happened to Grammy just like I did, but as a ped, I guess the GBS risk is so much smaller in kids, he wouldn't have seen it since. Plus, there was even new research that showed getting flu shots several years in a row may make people more vulnerable to the flu in later years. Anna played with the edge of her mask as her mind re-ran this litany, like she did every time someone came in with severe flu complications. It was annoying to have to wear it, but she knew she could just never bring herself to get the shot, not unless they could find a way to eliminate the GBS risk. Anna's hand wandered down to her ID badge clipped to her chest. Now that really annoyed her. The red sticker she had to put on her badge that also indicated her refusal to get the flu shot. That way, other hospital employees could remind her to wear her mask if she forgot. And hospital supervisors could make sure each of their underlings were being compliant with mask wearing. I don't know how this is not considered a HIPAA violation, she mused for the umpteenth time. My badge and this mask openly disclose my confidential medical information to everyone around me. How is that even legal? Anna was happy to read a story about a Canadian judge who ruled against a hospital with the same policy, ruled for that very reason. Mask wearing and badge labeling violated the HIPAA rights of hospital employees, and because there was no evidence that the flu shot reduces person-to-person -person transmission of the virus, the hospital's policy was illegal. Those nurses were brave enough to take the hospital to court over this, and they won. I wish I was that brave. But what really hurt her, what really stung, were the patient warning posters all over the hospital that went up this year for the first time. Anna could see two of them from where she sat. Why is my healthcare provider wearing a mask and a red dot on the badge? All you could see of the girl in the picture were her eyes, but she was obviously a beautiful model. Then below her were listed all the reasons as to why the hospital's mandatory flu vaccine policy is there to keep patients safe and a reassurance that anyone wearing a mask and with a red dot on their badge isn't necessarily sick, so patients don't need to worry about being near them. Anna felt like she would be less humiliated if she came to work naked. And in order to avoid as many misunderstandings as possible, Anna was usually not assigned to care for any patients admitted for flu complications, 
because her supervisor worried that if such families found out that Anna didn't vaccinate against the very disease that had landed their family member in the hospital, there would be a lot of extra anger to deal with, and they didn't need that here in the ICU. Anna's supervisor actually agreed with Anna's opinion on the science that the mask made no difference, but there was no easy way to get a scared family to listen to reason, especially when the reasoning went against all the flu vaccine propaganda they would have already seen. But then little baby Angela was admitted, and Anna was assigned to her case every night since then, because Angela's mom had declined the flu shot at her six-month checkup, the intake nurse had discovered, and Anna was happy to take on the job. She had many conversations with Evangeline since then and found that they were kindred spirits. And when the actual strain of flu that was cultured from Angela's nasal passage turned out to not be a strain that was even covered in the flu shot this year, Evangeline and Anna had hugged for quite a while, both glad that the young mom wouldn't need to forever question what might have happened if she'd just gotten the shot at her baby's checkup. Good morning, Anna. Anna was startled out of her reverie by the arrival of Dr. Saul. Oh, hello, Abe. She knew he liked to go with first names when not around patients. What are you reading? Dr. Saul looked up from his phone. Oh, well, I'm a little embarrassed to say, actually, and it seems I may owe you an apology. Really? How often does that happen? A doctor apologizing to a nurse? She smiled. Well, I'm reading the latest Cochrane community blog about the flu shot, and it seems that you were right all along. According to Cochrane, yearly flu deaths are, and I quote, little more than 1,000 yearly. They describe how the CDC grossly overestimates them at about 36,000, and how that's because they group all pneumonia deaths in with flu deaths in that number, just like you've told me for years. And the three latest flu vaccine updates from Cochrane are very telling. The shot has surprisingly low efficacy, and there's very little actual research evidence to back up most of the claims that are made about the shot. I'm beginning to think that all the marketing hype behind the shot may really be simply because all those hundreds of millions of doses they scramble to make every year expire in June. They have to sell most of them or they lose big time. Now who's sounding crazy, Anna teased. But that's not all. I was reading more about the Cochrane author of these flu studies. The Vancouver Sun published two op-eds of his a few years ago about mandatory flu vaccine policies in hospitals. His insights were really quite intelligent. First, he said... It is not my place to judge the policies currently underway in British Columbia, but coercion and forcing public ridicule on human beings, for example, by forcing them to wear distinctive badges or clothing, is usually the practice of tyrants. In another piece about the flu shot, he said, the inactivated flu vaccines should work in theory, just like many things work in theory, but real evidence suggests they are not having the desired effect. So far, we have distortion of research findings, evidence-free statements, and evidence-free policies supporting coercion of human beings. 
What next? Anna didn't know what to say. She fingered her badge without even realizing it. Anyway, I'm going to start rounds. I'll see you later. Oh, where can I find that blog in case I want to show it around? Anna asked. It's called Why Have Three Long-Running Cochrane Reviews on Influenza Vaccines Been Stabilized? And you can't get more objective than Cochrane. He showed her his phone. It looks like you may not have cooties after all, I guess. He winked and headed down the hallway. Anna's gaze lingered on his retreating form for several seconds. Then she stood up and headed down the hallway to check how things were going with the new admission. Another flu case. This one vaccinated, so Anna knew she wouldn't be assigned to it. But it didn't sound like things were going very well in that room, and she wanted to lend a hand if needed. Tammy raised her head off the woman's shoulder as a masked nurse walked by and entered David's room. For the ten seconds it took for the door to swing closed, she heard numerous voices saying all kinds of things that made no sense to her, and an incessant alarm beeping again and again. Then it all died back down again to muted murmurs. She wiped her face on her sleeves and looked over at the woman who had sat down next to her. Tammy, she managed to get out. Tammy Stone. Evangeline, and my little Angela is in the room across from yours. She's almost nine months old. How is she doing, and why is she here, if I may ask? She got a really bad case of the flu and was admitted here seven days ago. It was touch and go at the start, and she needed full life support and everything, but she's doing much better now, I'm happy to say. It wasn't easy. It never is. But listen, your little David is in very good hands. I'm sure he will be fine, too. What an unusual coincidence, Tammy breathed. David is here because of the flu as well. It just came out of nowhere. One hour he was fine, and the next he was burning up, then vomiting, then coughing. Twenty-four hours later, we were at the doctor, and he sent us right here to the ER. By the time he got here, he was pale and even a little blue. They snatched us right out of the ER waiting room and got to work on him right away. What have they had to do so far? Evangeline prompted, knowing sometimes it made it easier to talk through the medical side of things. They have him on a breathing machine and IV fluids. They said they had to sedate him as well so he wouldn't fight the machine. And now his blood pressure keeps going down, and they have him on a medication to try to keep it up. Evangeline took a deep breath. Angela went through all those same things. Now all she has is an IV, and she's looking very well again. Want to see her? The woman nodded, and they both stood up and stepped into the quiet room. She is beautiful. You are lucky. Looking back toward the doorway, Tammy managed. I just hope. Then the sobbing started up again, and the two sat back down on the more comfortable couch this time to ride it out. Really? You didn't give her a flu shot? It was three days later, and Evangeline had come into David's room to say goodbye to Tammy. David was off the ventilator and doing better, having responded well to the IV antiviral medication. They'd gotten to talking, 
and Evangeline had shared a few things. Now, of course, I wonder if maybe I should have, answered Evangeline. But given that Angela's flu strain wasn't even in the vaccine, it wouldn't have made any difference. But you did. You gave David a flu shot, and he still got very sick from one of the strains the shot was supposed to cover. Well, I don't even remember getting him a flu shot, Tammy explained. I mean, I know he got a few shots at his six-month appointment, but no one asked me if I wanted him to have a flu shot. They usually just grouped them all in together and might not have specified all that he was getting. The regular vaccine schedule actually calls for nine vaccines at six months of age, if you include the flu shot. Wait, nine? Nine vaccines? He certainly didn't get that many. I only remember there being about three shots. Oh, and the liquid one by mouth. All the doses can be grouped into about four injections. Evangeline knew this well because she had looked more deeply into it when she started investigating the flu shot. DTAP, which is three shots in one, can also come mixed with hep B and polio, so that's five in one. Then HIB and PC each come individually. The flu shot makes four total injections of the eight vaccines. The oral one is rotavirus. Jeez, I don't even know what most of that is, cringed Tammy. Why didn't my doctor explain any of that to me, or even go over the pros and cons of the flu shot? I think most doctors just follow the routine, and they expect parents to read up on it themselves. They don't really have the time to explain all that anyway, at least not the really busy doctors. I don't think I could live with myself if all this happened and I'd said no to the flu shot. I'm glad Angela's strain wasn't in the vaccine because I know you now, and I know that would have been even harder on you. But what are you going to do next flu season? And what am I going to do? If the flu shot barely even works, why bother? But if there's a chance it would prevent this from happening again, then I'd be crazy not to get it, right? Well, Tammy, here is how I look at it. First, is the shot likely to work? Second, how dangerous is the flu likely to be in most cases? And third, what are the risks of the shot? What are the side effects? You should talk to my nurse about this, Anna. She is wonderful, and she knows a lot about the flu shot and its side effects. So to answer the first question, the flu shot is actually the least effective vaccine they make. Most shots work pretty well, right? Not the flu shot. Researchers have attempted to prove that the shot even provides any benefit to infants and toddlers, and the consensus is no. They have not been able to even show it's protective in our young ones, except that it may reduce the chance of flu complications. Maybe. But the jury's still out on that. Now, they do have some research showing it works in older kids and adults, but that efficacy varies. Some years, it's as low as 10% effective. A few years have had high efficacy, but only up to about 60%. And that is lower than the supposed efficacy of any other vaccine. But then there's the elderly. Research shows it's actually less effective in the elderly than in younger adults. And it's the elderly who need it most. That's why they made the vaccine in the first place, and it barely even works in that population. 
And they figured out the nasal flu spray doesn't seem to work in children at all lately, so they stopped advising it for kids. The nasal one, that is. But they push it so hard. Advertisements, discounts at the drugstore if you get your shot. They sell it as if it's totally going to protect you. Well, they are in the business to sell things, they being the companies who make the flu shots, the stores that give them, and the doctors that provide them. My thought is that they advertise flu shots more than any other because every year all the products they make has a very short shelf life. It's only good for that one season. Whatever they don't sell, they have to throw away. And you know what I've also read? About half the flu shots have mercury, so they have to dispose of them as hazardous waste. Isn't that ironic? It's perfectly safe if they inject it into your baby, but try to throw it away, and suddenly it's a hazardous material. That's crazy. That really makes me a little angry. Mercury? They put that into my baby? Maybe, maybe not, reassured Evangeline. The bottom line on this one vaccine is that it just doesn't do your baby or toddler much good. But the next question is, just how dangerous is the flu? Despite what happened to your baby and mine, we are anomalies. For most people, the flu is harmless. Tragically, about 20 babies die in the U.S. every year, and about 20 toddlers and preschoolers. In total, about 100 children ages 0 to 18 die from the flu each year. When it comes to adults and the elderly, there are about 1,500 confirmed deaths each year. Wait, but I've heard that the flu kills about 36,000 Americans every year. You're saying it's what, only about 1,600? For some strange reason, the CDC groups all flu deaths and pneumonia deaths into the same category. The two together add up to about 36,000. But most of that is bacterial pneumonia. Other databases that only tabulate flu data show about 1,000 to 1,600 deaths annually. That's still tragic, but many of those deaths are in people who got a flu vaccine. But then you have to compare all those disease statistics against the risk of getting the shot. The CDC collects data on all severe vaccine reactions in their system called VAERS. This system has received over 1,000 reports of fatal reactions to the flu shot. There have also been over 9,000 hospitalizations, 1,800 disabilities, and 1,700 cases of nerve injury or paralysis. Ask Nurse Anna about her grandmother. She'll tell you all about it. I'm not saying people should or shouldn't get the flu shot. I'm just saying give people a choice and inform them when they are trying to choose. And don't look at them funny or punish them when they say no, because there are good arguments both for and against it. But there is another danger from the flu vaccine if you are allergic to eggs. Flu viruses for the shots are grown in eggs, and they extract all the flu viruses from the eggs and process them into the vaccine solution. But they can't filter out all the egg proteins, so if you are allergic to eggs, you could go into anaphylactic shock and literally die right there on the spot. Or you could just have a slight allergic reaction like hives. Hey, 
Wait a minute. David had hives once. It was around six months. It was two days after his shots and his flu shot. He got a rash on his face and chest and seemed itchy. I remember the timing now because the doctor joked about us being back so soon. He said it was hives, but nothing to worry about and to give him Benadryl. We did, and the hives went away. We never did find out what caused the hives. The doctor didn't mention anything about this being an allergic reaction to the shots or to the flu shot. Plus, added Evangeline, most babies haven't even tried eggs yet when they're old enough for their first flu shot at six months, so you wouldn't even know if your baby is allergic yet. But they push the shot on every baby regardless, all for very little gain. But it gets worse. Even though the manufacturers who make flu shots advise against giving it to anyone who is allergic to eggs, health experts advise that all egg allergic patients should get a flu shot anyway. Just make sure it's in a doctor's office so if you go into shock, they can revive you. That's stupid, said Tammy loudly, for a shot that barely works. Hey, get this shot, it may kill you, and it probably won't work, but here's $5 off your next purchase here at a drugstore. Are people just that dumb? Evangeline didn't answer. She just waited. Tammy turned and looked into the mirror over the sink in the hospital room. I guess we are. Anna waved goodbye to Evangeline and baby Angela as the double doors to the ICU swung closed, happy to see her patient finally getting discharged. It was nice to serve patients who were kindred spirits. With a sigh, she entered another room where her second new admission for the day had just arrived, a post-op case in a seven-year-old girl who had had some complications. Hello, Mrs. Jenkins. I'm... Anna stopped as the mother of the little girl stepped in front of her, blocking her path to the little girl's bed. Stop. Don't come any closer to my daughter, please. Startled, Anna complied, then reached her hand out to touch the woman's shoulder and started to ask what her concern was. But her hand never reached its target because the woman shrank back from it. Anna heard the door open behind her and assumed it was Dr. Saul. Doctor, can I please speak with you now? demanded Mrs. Jenkins. Why, of course, Mrs. Jenkins, he finished, glancing quickly down at the chart in his hands. I'm Dr. Saul, by the way. He reached out his hand in greeting. Anna was about to say something to warn him that this mom, for some reason, maybe religious, didn't seem to like physical touch, when Mrs. Jenkins reached out and clasped the doctor's hand with both of hers. Can I have a different nurse, please? One who isn't, you know. Anna froze as understanding dawned on her. The posters. Mrs. Jenkins, I can assure you that Anna is literally our best nurse. Your daughter is in very good Anna could see understanding dawn on Dr. Saul's face as well when he glanced at her and his eyes shifted downward almost imperceptibly to her mask, then her badge. Oh, um, and I also insist that my daughter's nurse not have HIV either or hepatitis B 
or anything else that could possibly be spread through touch. Oh my gosh, if you give my child herpes, I'm going to sue. Mrs. Jenkins, even if one of our nurses or any other staff is HIV positive or anything else like that, you can't catch it from... Like hell I can't, the mom interrupted. This surgery almost killed my daughter. I don't want some hussy infecting her with something else. I demand that she get a nurse who doesn't have AIDS or anything. Now, Mrs. Jenkins, there is no danger from any of our staff. That type of information is confidential anyway. Even I don't know which nurses or doctors have. But the posters are kind enough to warn me who has the flu. I want to know what color mask the HIV people wear and what color sticker those people have on. I mean, compared to those, who even cares about the flu, right? Please, this is my daughter we are talking about. I don't want anyone or anything to put her in danger. Anna could tell that Dr. Saul was at a loss for words, as was she. Then the doctor did something that ordinarily would have resulted in an HR report, but that Anna would remember gratefully for the rest of her life. Dr. Saul, Abraham as he became to her later, stepped over to Anna, pulled her mask down, and kissed her. Not just on one cheek, but on both, to show that there's nothing dangerous about an unvaccinated person. We'll find you a new nurse, Mrs. Jenkins, he said as he guided Anna out of the room. Resources on the studies cited in this chapter are available at johnphiliprion.com.